attention, for this is God's Word. God says to His people, you shall not murder. This is God's Word. Let us pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you for your word, for its truth. I pray now that your spirit would bear witness to our spirit as it is proclaimed and preached, that you would open our hearts and minds to see the wonderful truth in your law, and in seeing it, that you would convict us of our own unrighteousness, but drive us to the grace of the gospel that is ours in Christ, so that we might rest not in our own works, which are of no good, but completely in the work of Christ on our behalf, trusting Him with all our hearts. For those who have no faith, I pray that you would open their hearts and their minds to see the good news of the gospel, to rest in the peace that Jesus offers them. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, in the Hebrew, this commandment is actually only two words, lo ratzak. It is very short. And translated into English, it's usually four words, you shall not murder. Two words. But two words can say a whole lot. And such is the case with this commandment. I mean, it seems simple enough, doesn't it? Don't murder. In fact, I think if we were to go out to downtown Ann Arbor right now and ask people on the street uh, about this commandment, they would probably all tell you, you know, we have no problem keeping that commandment. At least we hope they would say that. Most people would probably agree, yeah, that's a good commandment. After all, violence, murder, attacking other humans, it feels so contrary to nature. We're supposed to be nice and loving and compassionate. But if the sixth commandment is so simple and clear, why then is the world so full of violence? I mean, Detroit this year has seen over 200 homicides. Violent crimes plague every major U.S. city. And if the sensible thing, then, is not to attack other people, not to commit murder and injury and harm, then why are those things so widespread? Well, the answer to that question lies at the heart of this commandment. You see, as fallen sinners, which all of us are because we are all born with a sin nature because of the fall, as fallen sinners, we are all murderers at heart. And this commandment exposes that dark reality. No, we may not commit actual homicide, but there are many, many ways that the Scriptures show us in which we break and violate this sixth commandment, and we do great injustice against our neighbors, our friends, even our own families. And so God has said in just two words, that he prohibits the unlawful destruction of human lives because all lives are precious. And what we learn from this sixth commandment is this. God is the author of life. He is the author of your life. And therefore, we ought to treat all human lives with dignity rather than destruction. 
I'm going to preface before we go on and just say, I know there are some things in this law, as there are in all of them, that are going to be very hard for us to hear. We all have pasts that we would like to forget where we have sinned greatly against our neighbors. But know this, that under the blood of Christ, that past is gone. So just hang with me. And if you feel the sting of God's law, know that the grace is coming. What does this commandment then teach us about God? Remember, there are four things we're looking at in each commandment. One, it shows us something about God. Two, it instructs us then on how we are to live in light of that and that it prohibits sin and it requires certain duties of us. Three, it confronts us with our own sinful hearts. And four, it shows us the promise of the gospel. So what then does this commandment teach us about God? Well, it teaches us this, that God cares about life because God is the creator of all life. We know this. We know that we are created in God's image. Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. What does it mean to be made in God's image? Well, it means many things. There are, and there are many ways that we reflect the image of God and reveal who He is to each other. But among those, it means that we have life itself within us. The Bible tells us that God is a living God. He is not some cold stone or wooden idol, some imagination, some inanimate power. He is a living God. Jeremiah declares, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. And since as humans then we are made in God's image and God is a living God, we too have life. We are made like Him. As Paul preached to the Athenians, in Him we live and move and have our being. You see, the very breath you take right now, that next beat of your heart, that very thought that is entering your mind as we sit here and hear God's Word as it is proclaimed and worship Him together, the food that you will no doubt enjoy this day, the, the steps that you will take all of your life that you are living right now in this very moment, all of that you have because God has made you a living being in His image. Without God granting us life, we are no different than the dirt and the dust of this earth. In fact, Genesis 2-7 says, The Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. See, your life is God's gift to you, a precious gift of His grace. And because God gave you life, it means that your life is also precious to God. The Bible tells us that God knows the very numbers of hairs upon each and every person's head. Now, some of us, like myself and Ryan, we don't have very many to number anymore. But I would guarantee you that Ryan and I, we would tell you we still don't know how many are there. But God does, each and every one. 
In Psalm 139, David prays to God, you formed me in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Yes, God cares about your life because He created it. He gave it to you. You may not think very much of your life, but I guarantee you that God does. Your life is more precious to Him than it is to you, so much so that He wants it preserved and protected. Because God is not only the creator of life, but He is the sovereign preserver and sustainer of it. And that is the reason He gives us this sixth commandment. Jesus teaches us on the sermon, in the Sermon on the Mount that God cares about our lives so much that He will provide for us, that He will protect and preserve life. Jesus said, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor weep or reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Not only do we see God's care for human life and His cre creation and preservation of life, but we see it in the fact that He makes protection of life part of His covenant of grace that He makes with His people. Remember, the Ten Commandments are a covenant charter where God spells out the relationship He has with His people. They testify of God's deliverance in freeing them from bondage. And that freedom is reflected in this Sixth Commandment which is a commandment to preserve life so that all might be free to enjoy what God has graciously granted them. Which leads us then to the second thing we need to consider about the sixth commandment. So we learn that of God, He has created life, therefore He cares about life, it is precious to Him. So we must ask then, what is this commandment instructing us to do? What are the sins it prohibits? What are the duties it requires? We could simplify it like this. The sixth commandment requires of us that we must uphold the dignity of human life rather than destroy it. So what does this commandment require of us? Well, it requires this. It requires that not only do we say no to death, but we say yes to life. The larger catechism puts it like this. It says, the duties required in the sixth commandment are all careful studies and lawful endeavors to preserve the life of ourselves and others by resisting all thoughts and purposes, subduing all passions, and avoiding all occasions, temptations, and practices which tend to the unjust taking away of the life of any. 
So preserving life then means that we will take active, proactive steps to prevent harm and image, uh, injury and death both to ourselves and to others. In fact, you can go to the civil laws of ancient Israel and see how this plays out. Those laws were designed to do this very thing, to preserve life. In fact, we've learned there, if you look in Deuteronomy 22, that building codes are actually not a modern invention. God says in Deuteronomy 22, He says, when you build a new house, you shall make a parpet or a, like a fence for your roof that you may not bring the guilt of blood upon your house if anyone should fall from it. So people were to consider the fact that houses there in that time had flat roofs. They could be tall. If you fell from it, it could injure or kill someone. So you need to protect people. You needed to put up some sort of barrier so that they would not fall and thus preserve life and thus keep the sixth commandment. But not only were they to protect life and how they built their homes, you also can look in those ancient laws of Israel and see that God required them to take steps uh, to protect others from things like dangerous animals. So Exodus 21, 28 through 29. When an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten. But the owner of the ox shall not be liable. But if the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past, so he knows about it, it's a dangerous animal, and its owner has been warned, but he has not kept it in, and it kills a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and the owner also shall be put to death. Now that punishment may seem very harsh but the point is that God cares so much about preserving and protecting life that willful and gross negligence which will lead to the injury and death of another is something He will not tolerate. But again, the point is the preservation of life. Another way we see in the Bible that life is preserved is by just defense against violence done to ourselves and others. The Sixth Commandment does not prohibit in any way self-defense. In fact, the Bible shows that self-defense at times is necessary to uphold justice and to preserve life. We read in Exodus 22:2 that if a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him that struck him. Just defense against violence, of course, is also God-given responsibility to the civil magistrate. That's why Paul says in Romans 13, rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, he, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's servant, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. And so things like capital punishment under the sixth commandment are permissible 
for the preservation of the lives of the innocent and to uphold justice. In fact, it's rooted in the fact that we are made in God's image. Genesis 9-6, whoever sheds the blood of man, God says, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. God considers life so precious that if another person takes the life of another unjustly, then the punishment ought to fit the crime because we are created in God's image. Another way, though, that we are to preserve life of ourselves and others is by the careful use of what we eat and drink, how we work, and how we play. We know in the Bible that things like gluttony is a sin, as is drunkenness. A person can also work themselves to death, or if they are an employer, they can work their employees to death. These are violations of this sixth commandment. And we are also to take care in recreation so that we don't bring unlawful harm to ourselves and to others. For example, when Kurt and I were out hunting a few weeks ago, we made sure that we knew the direction we could take deer so that we wouldn't shoot and harm each other or others. And finally, another way we preserve life as we see in the Bible is through the comfort and care of those who are in distress. And so we do this by helping the poor and the destitute, caring for the sick among us, providing as we are able for the good of others, as God grants us the power and the ability to do so. You know, as Christians, we often appeal to the sixth commandment in our condemnation of abortion, which is good and right and true. Abortion is forbidden by this commandment. But since the commandment calls us to preserve life, we ought to be as equally quick to come to the aid of those women who feel that abortion is the only place they can turn and care for them and provide for them and help them both in their pregnancy and after, showing them the love and compassion of God. Again, the duty required by this commandment is the lawful preservation of life. So what does it forbid then? Well, it's pretty clear. It forbids all unlawful taking of life. Just like the other commandments, the head sin listed, murder, is a heading. And implied by it is a whole litany of other sins that we find in the Bible which God forbids connected to this concept that life is precious because God has created it. And so, of course, murder in every form is wrong, from premeditated murder to negligent manslaughter and suicide. But this command does forbid things like abortion and euthanasia, for they too destroy life. Let me be clear about this. It is a social sin. It has plagued our nation for years. Abortion is not compatible with the gospel in any way. 
If you are a Christian and you think there is a way to reconcile the practice of abortion with the truth of God's Word, I would urge you, for the sake of your soul, look again to what the Scriptures say about the preciousness of life when life begins and what God thinks of those who are willing to so easily throw it away. You see, to destroy a life is murder. Now, most of us, though, know that we have not taken life and actual murder physically, outwardly. And we do believe that the unlawful taking of life is forbidden by God, but we don't always consider the far-reaching extent of this sixth commandment. In fact, we might think, well, as long as I am trying to preserve life and I haven't actually killed anyone, I'm doing pretty good. I've kept this commandment. But consider this. Because we know that this commandment tells us to preserve life, it would be a sin then to neglect the preservation of that life. So if it is in our power to provide and to care for others, and we have not done that thing, we have broken the sixth commandment. And since the sixth commandment requires of us to preserve life by being careful with what we eat and drink and how we care for our own bodies, if we engage in immoderate behavior, we have broken the sixth commandment. Now, maybe you can say, I've taken good care of myself. I'm moderate in my consumption of God's good gifts. I do not abuse my body, and I have not committed any physical violence towards anyone in any way. I think I'm still doing pretty good with this sixth commandment. Well, Jesus has another thing for you to hear. Jesus takes us to this commandment in His Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew 5, this is what He says to us. He says, you've heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the consul. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. I mean, what is Jesus saying? Well, he's not adding to this commandment at all. He's simply getting to the very heart of it. He's saying that not only are violent acts prohibited, but violent thoughts and emotions and desires whereby we wish that we could harm another image bearer because of envy, because of jealousy, because of a vengeful spirit. You see, unrighteous anger is a murderous rage against those who are created in God's image. And so when you're driving down I-94, US-23, and you're cut off by another person on the road, and you just seethe in your heart and perhaps utter a few colorful words, we're attacking a fellow image bearer. We're breaking the sixth commandment. Parents... 
I know your kids can test your patience, and it is your duty to train them, to discipline them, to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But all of us who have had children will confess there are times we have disciplined them in unrighteous anger. And when we've done that, we've broken the sixth commandment. And kids who are still in here, when your parents ask you to do something or to stop doing something and you grow angry at them, God says, that's breaking this commandment just like a murderer. It's sin. You see, Jesus exposes all of our hearts that we are murderers in heart. We've all broken this simple commandment of just two words in some way. And we've done it this week. We've probably done it today. What this commandment's prohibitions and duties confronts us with when it comes to our sinful nature is this, that we attack others because ultimately we want to attack God. We attack God by attacking those made in His image. The fact that we are all bearers of the divine image heightens the seriousness of the sins prohibited by the sixth commandment. Despising God's image in thought or word and deed, shows a deep disregard for God Himself. Remember, life is precious to God, all human life, and so to attack it in any way, either in our heart or by our hand, is to do violence against that which God has called good. And the reason we do that is because as rebellious, fallen sinners, we want what God has. What does God have? He has sovereign authority over life and death. We want that. When God first created the world and placed Adam and Eve in the garden of His provision, among all the trees in the garden that He gave them was one called the tree of life. They were permitted to eat of this. The tree of life was the first sacramental means of God's grace, communicating to God's people the gracious life that He had given them. And Adam and Eve, by taking of that tree of life, were worshiping God and acknowledging His sovereign provision to sustain their lives and to preserve them and to provide for them. But when they fell into sin and they took of that forbidden tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they did so attempting to grasp the sovereignty of God in sustaining and providing in life. They were trying to take life from a source other than what God had provided. They wanted to be like God and to control life itself. But in doing that... They brought upon themselves and upon all of us, because they are our representatives, the curse of death. And so now murder and hate and anger and any disregard for human life is a similar sin to that first sin. It wants to take up the ability to grant life or take it from another rather than recognize that God is the provider and sustainer and sovereign Lord over both life and death. 
And so when we violate the sixth commandment, we're attacking God as the giver and the Lord of life to attack our fellow image bearers in any way, even in our hearts, is to attack God Himself by assuming we have His sovereign authority over the lives of others of which we do not have. And so when we do that, what do we do? Because if you're like me, you feel the full weight of this commandment bearing down upon you, and you feel its guilt and its shame you know that you've sinned. For who amongst us has not in our hearts attacked another image bearer? Who among us has not used our words as weapons to tear and crush and and, and destroy life rather than to seek to preserve it and the dignity of it? Who amongst us has not failed to preserve life in some way as our hearts are apathetic to the pleas and the cries of others. If anything, we could pray for those who are hurting and suffering, and far too often we fail to even do that. So where do we turn as sinners? Well, we turn yet again to the, command, uh, to, to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Christ of the commandments. See, there's a promise that is within this commandment, and it is this, that Jesus gave himself up to the hand of violent men to save you from your violent heart. Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly for his people. And where we fail to show dignity to God's image bearers, Jesus prevailed in all ways. He did no violence, though violence was done to him. Isaiah 53, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Though Jesus was abused and beaten and bullied and bloodied, he did not spew forth a harsh word of anger towards those who were oppressing him. He could have called down the hosts of heaven to descend upon his tormentors as he hung in agony upon the cross, but he did not. He absorbed all of that violence to save us from the violence of our own hearts. And he sought to preserve the very lies of those who were causing his suffering. In Luke twenty-two thirty-four, as he is there upon the cross, he prays to the Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They are breaking the sixth commandment. They are ignorant of their own sin, of their own hatred their own spite against the very Son of God. Father, forgive them. Do not hold them accountable for this. And in suffering the violence of murderous men and seeking to provide pardon for those who sought His life, Jesus demonstrates that He is the Lord of life. He is the provision of the life that we need which rescues us 
from all of our sin and shame. Because Jesus creates a new life for all who come to him in faith and repentance. John 1, 4 through 5, in Christ was life. And the life was the light of men. The light that shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. No, there is darkness in this world. There is violence. There is hate. But the light of Christ is greater than the darkness of men. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And the life that he abundantly gives to sinners like you and me, he gives because he died in our place. And yet, thanks be to God, even death could not hold him. And so now death is swallowed up in victory, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Jesus tells Martha as she's grieved over the death of her brother, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Oh yes, we have all broken this sixth commandment in some way. If not with our hands, we have with our hearts. We have all picked up a cup of wrath, drunk deeply from it, and spewed it forth upon others as we turn our words into weapons. And we listen to Satan's lie that we can destroy others for our own gain rather than seek to preserve the dignity of life. And so we all need Jesus to do what we could not do We need Jesus to save us from our sins. You see, Jesus didn't pick up a cup of his own wrath in anger towards those who put him to death. But he did pick up a cup of wrath. It was the righteous, holy wrath of God against all of our sin, all of our unrighteous anger against our murderous hearts, he picked up that cup of God's holy wrath and he drank it dry so that not a drop remained and God's justice was satisfied through Christ's death so that we might be made right with God so that all of our sin, past, present, and future, is now forgiven. And we have life rather than death, life abundantly. So do not murder, not physically with your mouth or in your heart, but preserve life, even the life of your enemies, and do that through Christ Jesus as you come to Him by faith. Let the Christ of the commandments restore you to life so that you can value the life of all. You see, the gospel fulfills this commandment. And there is no more life-giving thing we can do but to point people to Jesus Christ, the Lord of life. 
And so let us point each other to Christ who is our life. Let us point our neighbors to Christ who is our life. Let us point our family, our children, all that we know to Christ, the Lord of life, because that light has overcome the darkness of this world. Thanks be to God. Let us pray.